It's a midnight cry when Jesus goes. Is that what we're all looking forward to? Our children are going out to children's church. I love that song. You know, it, uh, we go through our weeks and the hustle and bustle and of, of life and things get monotonous, in it, but we always have that blessed hope. My Savior is coming. Thank you, Matt, for that. I want to talk to you about some uh, things today. I was actually asked this question a few weeks ago. Does God want us to live in shame and guilt over sin? What do you think? Does God want you to live in shame and guilt over sin? I got some uh uh-uh. I got some... Oh, never thought about it. Well, we're going to look about it, look at it today. And uh, as I, I studied it and looked at it, and and uh, I just briefly off the top of my head, I gave an answer for this when I was asked this question, and it just sort of intrigued me that I didn't know that if I've ever studied that, I think I know the answer, but I ever just looked in God's Word and just see what God says about guilt and shame. What, what, how does God feel about that? And I, I looked and found a verse in Ezra 9, 6. It says, Oh God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to Thee. My God, for our iniquities are increased over our heads, and our trespasses, our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever just felt like, God, I just can't even face You? I just can't, I I can't, I know you don't even want to see my face because of the way I am. How could I have done what I have done? Now Ezra is is making this cry and making this plea for the the nation of Israel. And this is the attitude, I'm ashamed. I, I blush to lift up my face to thee. I think a lot of times people feel that way when they sin, when they do things wrong. Or maybe things just happen in their life. Maybe it's not sin. I don't want to focus so much on sin, but, but what brings guilt? What brings shame? You know, it, it's not always just sin. There are circumstances and things that happen in our life, and you think, you know, if, if I'd have just seen that coming... Uh, if, if I could have just known, I, I, I've listened to, to testimonies before of, of women who were abused or men who were abused as children, and they talk about the guilt and the shame that they live with all of their life because of that. Did they do anything wrong? Absolutely not. Not. But they carry that guilt and they carry that shame. Uh, I looked up the word guilt and just trying to do a word study on this. And uh, it's an emotional experience, it says, that that occurs when a person believes or realizes they have uh, compromised a standard or conduct or have violated a moral standard uh, and bear significant responsibilities for that violation. So it's just like in a court of law, uh, uh, you walk up to the judge and, and he says, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty. Most of us want to say, no, I'm not guilty. I didn't do that. I didn't run that red. I almost came to a stop at that stop sign, Your Honor. 
But that's uh, admitting guilt, that there is a standard of conduct or a moral standard that is broken. Well, uh, in a spiritual sense, before God, when we have guilt, when we understand that we have violated or broken one of God's laws, one of God's commandments, one of God's rules, and we have fallen short of that. And so there's a a sense of guilt, that I am guilty of that sin. I think that's one of the first steps that we ought to have uh, to come to Christ. Uh, there, There is, I think, healthy guilt. There is healthy shame. But the question was, do we live in guilt and shame? How long should that guilt and shame last? Uh, as I was saying this, as uh, one that comes to Christ, the first thing they got to accept is, I am a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Guilty is charged. That's guilt. So is that just where it ends? Is that just where you stay? No, but it, it goes on through Romans. But uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, you're guilty, but God paid the price for that sin, paid the price um, for that uh, crime that was committed against him. So he covers that guilt. Well, what is shame? Shame, um, well, it has all kinds of definitions. It, 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 it says it's an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion typically associated with negative evaluation of oneself. That's what shame gets. I'm so ashamed. Well, you ever had a mom or dad say, shame on you. They want you to feel bad for what you've done. Uh, we've, I've been under preachers that want to stand up here in the pulpit and say, I'm disappointed in you. Shame on you for doing what you did. That works pretty well, don't it? See, if, they, if mamas and daddies can understand that you ought to just feel terrible for what you did, maybe you won't do it anymore. If you just really look at yourself, and, and they, but you know what the problem with that is? With children, with a child of God, if you just go around feeling shameful all the time for the things you do wrong, It says it's a negative evaluation of oneself, a withdrawal from motivations, a feeling of distress, exposure, mistrust, powerlessness, worthlessness. Winford, you ever had any of them guys that you deal with and, and try to help to just get to rock bottom and they feel useless and powerless and worthless? You ever been there? You ever worked with somebody that just says, I just, I'm not any good. I, I just, I, I can't ever measure up. I'll never amount to anything. See, it's a, it's a feeling of not being wanted. You become a feeling of worthlessness, of rejected, or being cast out. It even gets to the point that I can't be loved. I'm unlovable. That's shame. And that's all that shame does is what it, it destroys you and tears you down. Now I want you to look and you turn your Bibles to, to Psalm 51. Put your finger there and then go to Luke chapter 15. 
You can put your little marker there or whatever. We're going to look at two examples of people who sinned and people who felt guilt and people who felt shame and what they do with it. What were the consequences of it? What were the, the problems with it? First one is Psalm 51. We all are very familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is David. Uh, to give you a little bit of history of what's going on, David was the king of Israel. And he saw this woman. He, was a, he, he saw this woman, Bathsheba, and she was beautiful. And he wanted her. So he had her brought to him, and, and he, wa- he was with her. He slept with her. Big problem was she was married to one of his main soldiers in his army. Well, to cover that up, he, uh, she ended up getting pregnant, and to cover that up, uh, he, he tried to, to have uh, her husband come and stay with her maybe for the week. Just take a furlough, bud, and, and don't go out and fight this, this time. And you stay with your wife hoping that they would sleep together. And he said, okay, there's the baby, and I'm not guilty of that. He tried to cover it up. Well, he wouldn't do it. He was too loyal to, to God. He was too loyal to the king. He was too loyal to Israel. He says, no, I'm not going to stay here while my brothers go and fight. So he goes to fight. Well, that spoiled David's plans. So what did David do? He had him set up. He actually had him killed on the battlefield to cover up his sin. And this uh, confession here in Psalm 51 is David's confession of that sin after he was addressed for that sin. He starts out, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Did you hear that? My sin is ever the guilt, the shame. Every corner I turn, every uh, page of a book that I open, every person I see, every woman I see, every man I see, I see my sin always before me. There's always guilt. There's always shame before me. But he acknowledges against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom." Father, as we study your word, I ask, Father, that you would just give me the words to say, to speak to your people today, Lord, to the truth of your word. Lord, just help me to, to help them to understand how you view sin and, and what we do with sin and what we do with guilt and what we do with shame. And Lord, help us just see the truth of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak through me for these next few minutes, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. See, first of all, to deal with guilt and to deal with shame, with sin or things like that, I think we have to have a right view of it. 
Uh, we used to, we, we need to have a right view of sin. Uh, first of all, he says, has mercy on me, O God. Now, David knew he had sinned, right? He knew what he did was terrible. And the only one that would judge him ultimately was who? God. God is the ultimate judge. And because of what David got, what is his sin? What was the penalty for that sin? Was David guilty? Absolutely. Did David feel shame? I believe he did at this point. I believe, I don't know exactly how long, maybe some scholars know, but from the time that he committed these sins to the time that it was addressed to him to the time of this confession, I'm not sure of the time frame. Uh, I, I think it was a little while because he said, my sin is ever before me. And, and, and so he's been dealing with this day and night until he finally confronts it and, and comes to the point that I've got to do something about my sin. And he says, so the first thing he does, he realizes that the ultimate judge is God. And I'm guilty as I can be. I mean, it's like standing before a, a, a judge in a courtroom and you've committed a crime. And it, are you guilty or not? How do you plead? I'm guilty. That judge can pass sentence now. David didn't say, couldn't say anything, but I'm guilty. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever standing for it? It's sort of a humbling experience, isn't it? One day we'll all stand before the judge of this universe. The judge of all creation. How will you plead? How will you plead? We none of us can do anything but plead guilty, as David was doing here, and and he's a, he he pleads for mercy to the God of all creation. That's all he can do. So the right attitude uh, attitude or view of sin is sin deserves judgment. It deserves judgment. Uh, but the only out for that is that sin can appeal to mercy. And uh, it says, uh, God does not have to, to forgive me for my sins. Do you know that? I hope you don't know that. Really, he don't have to, but because he said he would, now he has to. Because God's not a liar. And God's not going to go back on his word. So God has said in 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So because of God's promise, now he has to. Because of Jesus Christ who paid for my sins on the cross, my sin is paid for. So I go to him for mercy as David goes to him for mercy. Only God can provide mercy. Only God can provide uh, grace. The next thing is sin needs to be cleansed. He says, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. There's that guilt. There's that shame. It's the result of his sin. His sin needs to be cleansed. Uh, look at what he said. Behold, in, in verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make known wisdom. Now I started looking up the, the word wisdom there, and then, you know, where do we find wisdom? 
in the Bible. Where do we learn about wisdom? Where would you go if you wanted to find out about wisdom in the Bible? Somebody throw it out there. Proverbs. Very good. Proverbs. Well, there's all kinds of wisdom there. And in Proverbs chapter 8, it's as if wisdom is speaking. And the whole chapter is about that. In Proverbs 8, there's 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the forward mouth. That's what it says wisdom is. The fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Now does that mean we go around trembling and shaking in our boots and and we go around worried that God is going to send a lightning bolt to strike me down every time I step out of place? Is that what the fear is about? Now that fear is reverence. That fear is a reverence of who He is. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ultimate judge, the only one who can grant mercy and grace. And I reverence Him. Uh, He says against uh, thee only have I sinned. He's acknowledging that's the fear of the Lord. Acknowledging who he is, his power to forgive, his power to to display mercy. And I want you to look on down, and I'll I'll skip through for time's sake because we have another one to look at. (coughs) Psalm 51, 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Salvation is of God. And uphold me with a free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O God, thou uh, God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. See, I believe before this. See, see what, he's, what David is saying here is, God, I ain't even been able to praise you. I haven't even been able to sing to you. Matt, you ever been there? Yes, man, how can I stand up and sing about the love of God and His grace when I've done what I've done? I who I'm who I am. I've done that standing here. Who am I to stand up and try to proclaim God's word when I know who I am? And see, David was really struggling with this in that. He couldn't even sing praises to God in, the, in his quiet chambers. He didn't want to tell others, who am I to tell someone else that they're a sinner and that they need a Savior, that God loves them and Christ died for them? Who am I to tell them when I know what's in my heart? That's what David was at. His guilt and his shame was ever before him. See, that's what guilt and shame does. It'll shut your mouth. It'll shut your mouth. You know why? Because I believe that's what say, exactly what Satan wants. My Bible tells me that God inhabits my praise. God wants to hear praise from me. But if Satan knows that he can make me feel so guilty... And feel so ashamed for what I am, who I am, and what I've done. I'm not going to sing praises to God. He knows that. Y'all got this this morning? See what I'm talking about? This is, now I've been telling you, some of you are thinking, well, maybe God does want us to feel shame. 
No, I'm just sort of laying it out there for you what it does. I'm laying it out there. Guilt and shame, it is an effective tool. I believe there is a place for acknowledging your guilt. I believe there is a place that we ought to feel some sort of shame, but I believe it ought to end when we understand who we are in Christ. It ought to end when we, when we examine ourselves in the gracious, merciful God who gave his son for us. It ought to end there. And that's what David did here. He said, this guilt's ever before me. And yes, he had the guilt. Yes, he had the shame. Why? Why do you think he felt guilt day and night? Why do you think it was before him everywhere he went? Because he hadn't confessed it. He was trying to cover, too busy trying to cover it up himself. He was too busy trying to make fix it himself. I, I'm sure during that time, boy, David was probably a saint. He was probably giving money out to the poor and inviting all of his friends that didn't have so much. And he was just really being a good boy trying to please God. But he says, my sin is just ever before me. See, that's the way the Pharisees do. That's the way the religion does. It says, oh, yeah, you're a terrible person. But if you'll go to church six days in a row or six Sundays in a row, God will forgive you. If you'll, if you'll go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, if you have Sunday night, Wednesday night, if you'll work in vacation Bible school, if you'll do this, you'll do that, then you'll be okay with God. He end up like David. I tried, but my sin is ever before me. You haven't confessed it to the one you need to confess it to. You haven't dealt with that sin. Uh, what, what does it mean to, to confess our sins? What does that mean? That means to agree with God of what it is. David is agreeing with God that I have broken your law. I have, am guilty. I agree with you. This is a terrible thing. It has destroyed my fellowship with you. It has made me where I can't sing your praises. It's made me where I don't even want to share the good news of the gospel. I'm in a mess. But I know you, Father. The God of grace, the God of mercy, have mercy on me, O God. The only one that can blot out my transgression, David makes a plea to. And he said, if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll wash me, Father, look at the power that he exalts and gives to God. If you wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. I tried to wash me and it just made a bigger mess. But Father... God, if you'll wash me, I'm going to be clean. I will be clean. See, David is confessing his sin, and, I, and once his sin is confessed, I believe the guilt and the shame is going away. The guilt and the shame, yes, he's still guilty, but the shame is going away that keeps him, that, that makes him feel that he's worthless, that he's unlovable. That he's unuseful for God because of what he's done. Now, uh, we'll move quickly. Look at Luke 15. Y'all very familiar with this one. I want to look at another person that did wrong. 
And what a beautiful example here that Jesus is giving of the prodigal son. Now in the first part of chapter 15 he talks about a lamb that was lost. And how that the shepherd left the ninety and nine and went and found that one lost sheep. And he says, such as it is in heaven and rejoicing over the one lost sheep. And then it talks about a woman who lost a coin and how she lit a candle and she swept the floor and down on her hands and knees and searched diligently all over the home until she found that one coin. And how the rejoicing was. And Jesus compared it to how the angels in heaven would rejoice out of over one sinner who comes into repentance. He's given those two examples and then he comes to the prodigal son. Now this is just a story. This is a story that, that, that Jesus made, uh, I don't know, made up. Maybe it was a real story. But as far as we know it was more of a parable. It was a parable to give an illustration of a heavenly meaning. Give an earthly illustration of a heavenly meaning. So he gives his son, and you know it, and I'll, I'll just read it to you so we can sort of pick apart and, and see. I want you to look as we read this. Uh, the, the shame. Think about the shame, and think about the guilt, and think about the father, and all the reactions of what's going on, and, and think about the, the audience that is here, that Jesus has been telling these parables, and, and it says in the verse, uh, part of, uh, first part of chapter 15 that the Pharisees and the scribes were all there. And they were accusing Jesus of being a friend of sinners. They were accusing Jesus ultimately of being of Satan because he was a friend of sinners. And he gives these parables that, hey, I, I am a friend of sinners. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And, and if you want some examples, my Father in heaven rejoices over the, the, the repentance of a lost soul. So he comes on down to this parable, and he said, parable of the, the two uh, sons. And he said, a certain man had two sons, verse 11. And the younger then said to the father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto the, his living. So we got two sons, older son, younger son. The younger says, hey, dad. Uh, you know what he actually is saying here? When, when do you normally get your inheritance? When they pass away, right? So the younger son is basically going to the father and saying, Daddy, I sort of wish you were already dead because I want my inheritance. Well, that's shameless there, wasn't it? You're talking about self-centered. I want what I want no matter what. See, that's where sin starts. Sin starts with just a pride. Sin starts with selfishness of what I want no matter what. And this is what this younger son says. I, I want my inheritance now. I want to live now. I don't want to wait till you die. As a matter of fact, wish you'd hurry up. But since you're not going to hurry up, I want mine now. That's pretty rough, isn't it? But in essence, that's what the younger son was saying to the father. I don't want to live under your rule anymore. I don't want to do what you say doing it. I want my way. Was that sound familiar? And 
And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and he took his journey into a far country, and there was wasted his substance on riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to want. So he takes his inheritance, uh, maybe land, maybe uh, family heirloom, maybe gold necklaces, I, I don't know what all, maybe cattle, maybe sheep. He takes his portion of his inheritance, and it says it gathers it all together. I think that what that means is he takes it and turns it into money. He sells it all. And he turns it into money, and he heads to town. I'm going to do what I want to do. I got a pocket full of money, and nothing can stop me. We've seen it over and over and over, haven't we? So he heads to town, and he, he wastes this money on, you know, I don't know what all he's doing. I mean, nowadays you'd probably say he was drinking alcohol and, and gambling and going with prostitutes and just party, party, party. I don't know. I, I would imagine it was probably some that way. He spent it on lavish living, nice clothes, fancy camels, <laughs> chariots. Or if I had a backup camera. But he spent all of his money on worldly goods and to impress others of what he had. Just no consideration, shameless in all that he did. Do whatever he wanted to do, whatever he wanted, he got it because he had the money. But then all of his money was gone. And when all the money was gone, look what happened. A famine came. Isn't that life? I mean, I've I've had that before too. You know, I'll I'll get paid from a job or I get a little extra money. Wow, I want to get this tool or I want to get that tool and and I want to do that. and, And I sure enough, I go buy me what I wanted. Go buy a boat. Go by there. And there's nothing wrong with having those things. But it always seems to happen to me. When I do go spend a little extra money that I had, next week the refrigerator goes out. Or the air conditioning. Or the car breaks. And I'm like, stupid, stupid, stupid. I wasted that money on that and I should have put it. Because I knew bad times were coming. I knew I should have put it back for something, but that's what I wanted at the time, right? There's where he's at. He spent every dime he had, and now famine had come. So what did he do? It says in verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed swine. Now, you've got to understand the audience. Keep in mind, who's listening to Jesus' story here? These are Pharisees, right? I mean, they, they are, it is an abomination that the son would even ask for the father to give his inheritance to him. First of all, it's an abomination that the son would even live or consider to do the things that he did. And now he's in a bad spot and he has to go get a job. Bless his heart. He's got to make ends meet. He go and what kind of job does he get? Remember, these are Jewish Pharisees. 
He's out with the pigs. <gasps> Jesus is telling this story. Abomination after abomination, shameless in everything he does. And now he's there with the pigs. I mean, that's lower than the dogs. The pigs are filthy, nasty critters. And he gets a job feeding the pigs. Anybody ever had to feed pigs before? I want to tell you something else. I'm glad barbecue is good once it's clean because I couldn't eat it if I thought it was anything. You go and clean a pig or have to clean pigs, you probably don't want to eat pork no more. Those are nasty critters, and here he is feeding these pigs. And, and look what it says. And he would have faint and have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave him. You talk about low. Not only was he feeding the pigs, he was looking at the pig food and saying, that don't look so bad after all. That's how hungry he was. I want to tell you, I've been up here and seen some of the stuff pigs eat. I can't hardly stand the smell, let alone to think about just scoop up a handful of it and put it in my mouth. It gives me cold chills to think about it. But this here this prodigal son is, and he's looking at this slop, and he's saying, I might want that. A month ago, he was flaunting through town waving his money. He was a big dog. He was shameless in everything, and now he's brought low, low, low. And he's even considering eating what the pigs are eating. But then it says, verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? Uh-oh. He began to think, you know, daddy wasn't so crazy after all. I read a thing the other day. It says that they, you want your dad to, that as a teenager, you want your dad to go away. Your dad's embarrassing. And at the age of 25, daddy might not have been so wrong. At the age of 40, you know, daddy was pretty much right about things. Age 60, 70, so I wish I had my daddy. Not a Father's Day message. Maybe I should have saved this till next week. See, he's come to himself. He's realizing, you know, Daddy, being at Daddy's house wasn't so bad. Being under Daddy's rules wasn't so bad. At least I wouldn't be looking at pig slop considering eating it. Look at the, what my daddy has and, and the servants he has, and they're all eating well with some left over. And I'm starving to death even to the point that pig slop looks like a steak dinner. He's beginning to think. He's beginning to feel guilt. I think he's beginning to feel shame. He says, so he starts to reason himself, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Father, I am guilty. There's the guilt. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And here's the shame. Verse 19, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
That's how bad he felt. I, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. See, the guilt was I, am, I have sinned before heaven and before thee. It was like Ezra said, my, my sin is mounted up like the mountains. I'm ashamed to even look in your face, but the son began to reason in his mind and think I've got to do something or I am going to starve to death and die here. I've got to come to my senses. It was better in my father's house than what I have done. So he has this sin, this guilt, and this shame, and he's not worthy to be called his son. So he rose from verse 20 and came to his father's house. But when he was yet a great far off, this is awesome, his father saw him and had compassion. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now listen, to, as, as here he is, he's coming back. I'm going back to the father and he's walking up this dirty road and, and the, the father is looking for the son. See, we see right here that the father has missed the son since the day he left. The father's been watching for the son to return all along. While the son's doing whatever he wants to do, the father's praying and hoping that one day his son will return. And he sees him returning and he runs out to him and has compassion on him. Now listen to the the attitude. Let's go back to the attitude of the son before we talk about the attitude of the father. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. This is what he rehearsed back when he was in the pig's uh, sty. And in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called a son. I'm sure he went on to tell him, Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to call you a son. If you would just make me a servant. I'll work, I'll alert the rest of my days to repay the debt I owe you. There's guilt, and I'll live with that shame the rest of my days. You ever had that attitude? God, if you'd just forgive me. I know what I've done wrong, and I deserve what I got, Father. I deserve everything, and you're right. You deserve it. But Father, you know, if you'll, if you'll help me out of the mess I've got myself in, I'll, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll pray to you three times a day. I'll work the rest of my days to try to make it up to you for all the wrong that I've done wrong. This is what the prodigal son, this is the story that Jesus has given as a picture of heaven. And what it's like, and what the heavenly Father like, and what we're like. That's the way the Pharisees were. They wanted to work their way to gain God's acceptance. They wanted to work because of the shame and because of the guilt. They felt that they were going to have to work the rest of their days to appease God. But I'm glad he didn't leave it there. Let's go back to the Father. It says the Father rose. 
And he arose and came to his father's house, talking about the son. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. I got to close. This is too good to quit right now. Best part of all this. Now remember, Jesus is telling the story of what heaven's like, right? We're in the prodigal son's shoes. I've got so much guilt. I've got so much shame over what I've done. How can I even face you? But, but Father, if you'll just do this, I'll work for you the remainder of my days. The father ran out to the son. Do you know why he ran out there to him? He says it had compassion on him. Why did he have compassion on him to run to him? I can imagine as the son come up the walkway, if the father hadn't gone out, the older brother or the servants like, how dare you show your face around here after what you did? Let's just stack on some more shame. He walked into the church. And the church people said, how dare you show your face here after the life you've lived. But you know what my heavenly father does? He goes out ahead for you see me. He says, I love you. I forgive you. And you know what? I'm so excited you're home. He says, kill the fatted calf. Bring him clean clothes and put the family ring back on his finger. My father has compassion. And all the guilt and all the shame you want to stack up on somebody to make them feel low and to bring them low. And, and Satan wants to bring us low and to make us feel guilty. My father says, there's no need to feel guilty. I'll take that guilt. I'll take that shame. He talks about our Savior who despised the shame, who endured the cross for my sins. Are y'all getting this today? When I began to see how the Father felt about guilt, yes, guilt is a good tool. It ought to bring us to the Father. But once we confess our sins, once we go to the Father, we are accepted in open arms. Yes, there's kind of, did he get an inheritance later on? No. That's the consequences for sin. Did he have to work the rest of his days for the Father? Absolutely not. I believe he gave him his old room back. He killed the fatted calf. He put on the fine linen. He gave him the family ring. He accepted him back. He walked him up to the door. And I imagine he looked at all the servants and all the others there and said, Don't you say a word. This is my son. He's home. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. My son is home. Let's rejoice. I believe our Heavenly Father feels the same way because Jesus gave that illustration of it. That's what the Heavenly Father did. When you will go to him and confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all under. He puts on the new robe. He cleans you up. He kills the fatty. There is a feast. There is rejoicing in heaven over one who repents and comes back home. Y'all are excited, I can tell. Maybe it will sink in on the way home. The father rejoiced over that. 
There's no need for works. There's only grace. There's no need for shame. There's mercy. See, I don't believe that God wants us to live in guilt and shame. I believe it's important that we ought to have a period to acknowledge our sin and confess before God, I am guilty. And I agree with you, Father, that that was wrong. But I believe it ought to end there. Don't you let Satan beat you down and tear you down every day of your life, the rest of your life, for something you had done wrong. You know why that's so important? Because see, if he can do that, then he makes you believe that what you did was so bad, there's nothing that can correct it. And God says just the opposite. When Jesus died on the cross for my sin, how many future sins did he pay for? Every one of them. There is nothing too big for my Savior. There is no sin too big that he can't forgive because of the blood of Jesus. I've told y'all before in the, and I, I, got, I know I've got to quit. But in the tabernacle and, the, and all the furniture, the brazen altar, the place of sacrifice, and then you come to the laver, and that's the place of cleansing and washing. And you go into the holy place where the, the golden candlestick and the uh, table of showbread and the altar of incense and on past the veil into the holy of holies and the, the ark of the covenant. And you know what? God gave dimensions for every single Thing there, from the height of the curtains to the to the outside walls to the the tabernacle itself, the holy place, the holy of holies, the the size of the brazen altar, the size of the candlesticks, the size of the table of showbread, the size of the altar of incense, the size of the ark of the covenant. Every little detail had its exact materials that they would use and dimensions it would use. Except one thing, the labor. The labor, God didn't give any dimension. You look it up. There is no dimensions that God gives on the place for cleansing. There is no sin, people, that God can't forgive. He's not going to limit his ability to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. He doesn't limit that. It's wide open because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That ought to excite you today. The son here experienced complete and full mercy, complete grace, complete forgiveness and acceptance of the father. There was no guilt. There was no shame. Bring it to him and leave it there. And he says, I will remember your sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sins. Why are you still holding on to it? Why are you still carrying around the guilt and the shame when Jesus says, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. That ought to be a song, shouldn't it? (laughs) I think it is. Old country song, what sins... Are you talking about? Anybody know that one? 
I don't remember them anymore. I don't torture you anymore. But that's a good one. That's what my Savior says to me. What sins are you talking about? Don't carry that shame. Well, there was so much more. But I'll have to quit there. See, Satan wanna he'll get you down in your shame, and I'm gonna close with this. Satan will will say, You're you're not ever gonna amount to nothing. You're not worthy to to preach. You're not worthy to sing. You're not worthy to be a Sunday school teacher. You're not even worthy to be a good person, let alone a Christian. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Y'all just sit down and shut up. I'm not. See, that's what shame does to you. David said, I can't even talk about it. I can't sing praise because I'm not. Satan's got me beat up and I'm not. I want to tell you something. That guy was sitting in the corner of that pigsty and he was saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not even worthy to be called a son. I'm not even worthy to live in my daddy's house. I'll just be, if I could just be a servant. But because I'm not, I'm not worthy. Why don't you start focusing on what you are? I'm a child of the living God. I am forgiven. I have God's mercy. My daddy's rich. And my daddy's able. And my daddy wants to. And my daddy will help me if I'll go to him. Don't let Satan beat you up with a shame. And with the guilt, your daddy is waiting for you to come home. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that, Father, you just love us unconditionally. Lord, help us not to live a life defeated and discouraged when Jesus paid such great price to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. It says if you know that we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We thank you, Father, that you have set us free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of guilt, from the bondage of shame, and you've set us in high places and where we can run boldly to the throne of God and cry, Abba, Father. Father, we thank you for this today. We thank you for your blessings and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word that encourages us. Lord, I pray for if there's someone here today, Lord, there's them dealing with shame and guilt for years. Lord, I pray that they let it go today and let you have control, that they are worth something because Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Father, for your blessings to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.